And welcome back to another podcast, The Falcons Audible, presented by AT&T. I'm Derek Rackley with you once again, and we've got a couple new faces that are going to join us, and we will get to them in just a second. You know, it was a bye week for the Falcons this week, so we're letting, as the Falcons get a couple of days off, we're letting our own DJ Shockley and Dave Archer get some decompressed time. That way they can come back and they can bring the thunder the next time they're on this podcast. But before we get to our two guests this week, let me tell you what we're going to talk about. Of course, one of the biggest news this week is the injury to Drew Brees. How is that going to affect the Saints? How is that going to affect the NFC South? And how does that affect the NFL as a whole? We'll dive into that. And of course, will the Falcons with that injury to Drew Brees, will they see him again? There's been talk about whether or not he's going to hang it up. They've been playing well this year. Does Drew Brees decide to come back? Or does he say, you know what, enough of these injuries. I'm going to hang up the shoes and uh, get ready for my induction into the Hall of Fame. We'll also talk about the Bucks with the Falcons and how that should end up playing out. We saw the Bucks get back on track in their game this weekend after a little over a week ago getting blown out by the Saints. And then we're going to dive a little deeper into what a lot of people call hate week the Falcons and Saints as the Falcons will be back on the field this week traveling to New Orleans to face the division leading potentially Drew Brees less New Orleans Saints so that's the schedule for today during this podcast but before we get going let's say hello to our guests this week Falcons reporters Kelsey Conway and Will McFadden Will you got like five seconds to give me something great that's going to catch everybody's attention how are you what do you got for us what's up Rack uh what I got for you is the Falcons are going to win on Sunday I was just waiting for so much more than that. Okay, it's okay, Will. It's good to see you. It's okay. Uh, you, you don't think that's under. a lot? No, no, it's oh, a man. lot. But I, I was just, I was ready, waiting for something that was going to, like, Kelsey, can you do that? You got anything for me? Welcome to Ooh. the podcast this week. I don't know. I don't know if I got something on the spot, but uh, stay tuned because sometimes things just, you know, happen to come out of my mouth and end up being funnier than I could have ever imagined. So. In the broadcasting <laughs> world, they call that a tease. That means stay tuned because something might be coming. Well, Kelsey, let's go ahead and get into this first discussion about Drew Brees. And I'll start with you because since you joined the Atlanta Falcons organization, you've been very close in following this matchup. And, and it's been something that I'm sure you've seen the work of Drew Brees, how much he's meant to the Saints, and it makes this rivalry just elevated. So with his injury, in your opinion, how does this change the landscape of the NFC South? The Saints have been playing well lately, but with no Drew Brees in the lineup, are things more up in the air than one might have thought? Absolutely. But my first thought when you asked me that is I really wish the Falcons wouldn't have lost that game to the Panthers early on in the season because we'd be talking about a completely different story in the NFC South in terms of the Falcons chances to win in the division. But I would say for the Falcons standpoint, losing Drew Brees is obviously he's going to be future Hall of Famer. It's, it's a huge loss for the Saints. But if it were anybody other than Jameis Winston, who the Falcons have had a really hard time defending oh my gosh my ring light <laughs> there it was that was the moment right there that was it she didn't have to say anything but <laughs> hold on my... hold on to everything here Kelsey go ahead finish your thought this is going to show how much concentration you've got okay I am like fully holding my ring light um but I, what I was saying is if it was anybody other than James Winston I would feel great about the Falcons odds against the Saints but He's, he's very capable of making big plays as the Falcons have been accustomed to seeing from Jameis. But I think it just does change the landscape of the NFC South solely for the Bucks standpoint. But then again, the Saints have beaten the Bucks twice. So it's really interesting to see how this is all going to play out. 
Yeah, and Will, we, we have to wait to see how the action on the field is going to affect with every, without Drew Brees being in the lineup. How's Jameis Winston going to end up faring this one? And there are a lot of times, Will, when, when NFL teams have a backup quarterback that there's some guys that just haven't played a whole lot of football, and then some are fortunate enough to have a ton of experience under the belt. I think you could say the Atlanta Falcons have one in Matt Schaub. He's been a pro bowler. He's been an MVP of a pro bowl. He's been a starter. Jameis Winston kind of fits the same mold. Now, fortunately for the Saints, they have had a guy in Teddy Bridgewater that held that same role for him specifically last year when Drew Brees got hurt he held down the fort for him so with Jameis Winston let's just assume that he ends up being the quarterback moving forward how do you feel like the Saints are gonna are they gonna be confident with him coming in obviously coming off a year last season with the Buccaneers where he threw 30 interceptions yeah the big 30 for 30 last year uh, with over 30 touchdown passes and 30 interceptions. Um, and that's really the big thing with Jameis is he's got the experience. He's got the first round pedigree. But unlike Teddy Bridgewater, I'm really, really interested to see how the New Orleans Saints mold their offense to Jameis Winston because he's different than Drew Brees or Teddy. You know, Teddy is still a little bit more of that. And everybody uses this as kind of a negative, but it's not as kind of a game manager. Jameis wants to assert himself in these games. He wants to take the shot down the field. He wants to connect on some big plays. And he's not always the best at playing within the scope of the offense. And that's exactly what New Orleans has designed their offense to be this year. They have tailored it around not only Drew Brees' strengths, but his weaknesses. He doesn't have the deep ball that he used to. So what have they done instead? They get it to Alvin Kamara. They get it on these short, open routes with timing and precision. I don't know if that's Jameis's game. So that could be to Atlanta's advantage. But that's also the exact same reason why it could be a negative because it's not as though Sean Payton can't dial up those deep shots. We just don't know what that looks like with Jameis Winston running the show. So if I'm Atlanta, I think you've got to be prepared for pretty much anything. You may get some poorly thrown balls and you've got to take advantage of those. But if Jameis is hot, this isn't an offense I think that you can necessarily prepare for by reviewing the film of when Drew Brees was in there. Well, you you make a great point about the Falcons have to prepare for everything because I look at the Saints guys and I see a coaching staff that is very creative and they know how to work with the tools on their offense. So some could say, okay, well, Drew Brees is not going to be in the lineup. This is going to be a completely different team. Well, you got to remember the guys they still have in uniform. They still have Michael Thomas. They still have Alvin Kamara. They still have Taysom Hill, who's a, a very dangerous player in the limited role that he ends up providing for the Saints. So, Will, I'll come back to you. With this type of an injury to Drew Brees, do you expect that Sean Payton and company are going to go with more trickery, if you will? Maybe it's more plays where Taysom Hill is taking the ball from center. Maybe it's more plays where there's going to be a direct snap to Alvin Kamara's where he can just automatically use his athleticism to try to make the defense miss, try to make some big plays for him. Because to me, when I look at this, I see as an opportunity as a really skilled offensive play caller to use all of those weapons, Will, that they have on offense, even if they don't have Drew Brees. Yeah, and I think that you even saw the, the very next three plays after Drew Brees got hurt in this last game against San Francisco. You really saw, saw Sean Payton's uh, creativity come to light. He kept Drew Brees on the field for the first two plays and had Taysom Hill at quarterback. So the defense didn't really know what was coming. They didn't know that Drew Brees was hurt. For the third play, they bring Brees back under center, and it's a pitch to Alvin Kamara for a touchdown. So Sean Payton knows how to execute an offense, even when Brees is not the focal point. Now, I don't know if they're going to necessarily get more creative. I think they will with some of their passing schemes down the field because that suits Jameis. 
And I think they will with Taysom. You know, if you saw uh, kind of New Orleans game against uh, Tampa Bay, really big Taysom Hill game. He did a lot of power runs downhill, especially in short yardage situations. I would expect some of that, but I do think they may dial it back and depend on Alvin Kamara, who's playing as well as he's ever played in the NFL this season. I think he will be the focal point of the offense on Sunday. One of the most difficult guys in the league, not just for the Saints, but in the entire league to slow down offensively with all the different things that they do for him. Um, my, the last thing I'll say about this before we move on is I want to see how the Saints respond when they get that first turnover from Jameis or the first couple of turnovers. Because as we've seen from him, sometime they can come in bunches. They're playing with a ton of confidence right now, guys. They've won six straight games. They've got weapons all across the offense. Their defense is playing at an extremely high level. But what happens once the turnovers start coming in bunches? Does that team start to fall backwards a little bit and say, this is the Jameis that ended up getting booted out of Tampa because of his turnover issues? So we'll get a chance to see what happens there. With Drew Brees, though, Kelsey, I want to get your opinion on this because – we saw last year things kind of slow down maybe a little bit for Tom Brady and the discussion was when is he going to hang it up well he decided not to hang it up he decided to take 50 million dollars and go down to Tampa tax-free by the way but I'm not counting um do you think this is the last time that maybe the Falcons have seen Drew Brees because he is older he is towards the end of his career do you think he hangs it up or do you think he still has more left in the tank you know, it is so hard to predict that because part of me says yes, because I was full blown like the Saints were going all in on this year. This was going to be the last year, you know, Drew Brees was ever going to square off against Matt Ryan. He was headed to the broadcast booth or whatever he chose to do in retirement. But part of me thinks this is his decision is going to rest solely on what happens with the Saints, because the Saints feel like they have a championship caliber team. And Drew Brees wants a ring. He wants one more ring before he calls it quits. And if this season, if he's able to come back and, you know, this season goes well for the Saints and he feels good about walking away, for sure. But I don't know. It's just really hard to tell. He's just such a competitor. But at the same time, you got to think about all the injuries he suffered. Um, but I don't know. I, I, part of me is like, I'm ready for not Drew Brees. Uh, but <laughs> then at the same time, I'm big on appreciating greatness in sports, whether it's, you know, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, in this case, Drew Brees. I, you know, I think I've tweeted it a couple of times. Saints and Falcons fans should put their beliefs about each team aside for a little bit and just appreciate the quarterback play and what they're seeing between Drew Brees and Matt Ryan because it doesn't happen for this long of time very often in sports and you think about you know all the times of the Celtics the Lakers and the NBA and then you talk about some of the greats uh you know with Jerry Rice and uh, Joe Montana and all those guys you know what the Falcons have with Matt Ryan for how long they have and Drew Brees in New Orleans I think everybody should just kind of soak that in and we'll see if it's We'll ever see it again, but when you were talking about Jameis Winston, I was kind of thinking about, I wonder if when Jameis does throw his first interception, if the rest of the Saints will feel kind of how I do right now, kind of hoping that my ring light doesn't fall over one more time. <laughs> 
hoping that another interception does not come like you're hoping <laughs> that your camera does not fall down from in front of you. Very good point, because I'm hoping that doesn't happen for the next 20 minutes or so. Um, well, I will say, you know, Kelsey makes a great point about sometimes you just need to appreciate the greatness, right? Because arguably three of the best quarterbacks in the NFL in one division right now, as far as what they've accomplished to date. But you look at Drew Brees, Will, and you think when a guy decides to hang it up, it's usually because he can't perform at the level that he's accustomed to, or maybe because he doesn't feel like he has the weapons around him. If I look at Drew Brees, the way he played so far this year, Will, his completion rate at about 73% this year and all the weapons that he has to work with on offense, to me, that doesn't spell a recipe for retirement. Does it for you? Um, no, no, that, that in and of itself um, does not. But I think that, you know, it's going to be really hard for any organization to say, you know, thanks, but no thanks to a, a future Hall of Famer, which Drew Brees undoubtedly is. And, you know, in my opinion, I would probably have him in the top five quarterbacks of all time from just a pure accomplishment standpoint of what he's done on the field. But, you know, what we saw before his injury, there were limitations with him at the quarterback position. You know, I mentioned that the Saints did have to tailor their offense to not only what he does really well, which is everything cerebrally, He's still pinpoint accurate. He doesn't take sacks. He gets rid of the ball quickly, but he just doesn't have that down the field dynamic type of, of arm anymore. And when you're seeing other players in the league, like Patrick Mahomes, like Russell Wilson, like a lot of these young players who are able to make their offense so much more dangerous because on any single throw, they can beat you deep. That just stretches the field in an entirely different way. And I, I haven't seen that from the saints so far this year, it's been a lot of Alvin Kamara. It's been a lot of Jared Cook kind of over the middle. It's been a lot of these short, quick routes. And ultimately, I think it's up to the Saints to decide, do we really want to have to kind of have a very specific game plan for how we can win? And it's proven to be successful. I mean, we're sitting here talking about one of the kind of contenders of the NFC right now, and that was with Drew Brees at quarterback. So no, I'm not ready to say that, that the Saints should move on from Drew Brees because I don't think they should. But when you start looking at salary cap implications, players that they're going to have to lose, this is kind of their best, I think, window this in the past couple of years. If Drew Brees comes back and they're going to make a run and they end up in the Super Bowl, kind of win or lose, that might be the time for Drew Brees to say, look, I, I've done everything I want to do. If they don't get there, that's when you have to wonder, you know, does he look at this injury situation if he ends up missing the rest of the season? Maybe he comes back. Rock, can yeah, I no. just add one point to Will, what Will just said? Because I feel like so many people have said exactly what you just said to Will. Is it time for Drew Brees? And they bring up Drew Brees can't throw the deep ball, right? Okay, well, how about this? The Saints rank number four in points per game, averaging 30 points per game, and number four in average time of possession. So to me, who cares if he can't throw the deep ball? If they can be that productive, who cares, you know? Yeah, but imagine I agree if with they you. Had I was somebody who could throw the deep ball. <laughs> yeah, but they got somebody that could pretty much do everything else better than everybody in the NFL. So yeah, I'm kind of I get where you're going with it, Will. And there's a lot of discussion about the lack of pushing the ball down the field. But I was on the call that game against the Buccaneers, and that him and that offense did everything and anything that they wanted against that defense which by the way has got some studs on the defensive side of the ball that offense didn't look like it was struggling at all let's move on a little bit Kelsey because I, I like where you're going right now so I want to tee you right back up with this you got to be quick though because I, let's talk about the Bucks. they got back on track on their game last weekend what 
are the Buccaneers this year? Are they the team that we saw against the Saints? Or are they the team that we saw against the Panthers on Sunday? Or are they somewhere in between? Can I answer by saying I don't know? <laughs> no, you can't. You, you got to get more definite than that. You said be quick. And to be honest with you right now, I don't know. I watch the Bucks a lot and it's so hard to tell what they are. Uh, two weeks ago, I said to Arch on face to face that I thought the Bucks were the best team in the NFC. Then they go and almost lose to the Giants. Then they get blown out by the Saints. So I don't know. I think their defense can be outstanding. Obviously, you've seen what Todd Bowles can do with the pass rushers they have up front, and they're playing better in the secondary. But sometimes on offense, I'm just sitting there like, Tom Brady's got all these weapons, and for whatever reason, it's just not working sometimes. So for right now, I'm going to say I don't know. Will, have you seen enough to, to give us the, the book, if you will, the book on the Buccaneers on what they are this year? Yes, and I think that when the regular season comes to an end, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be playing the best football of anybody in the NFC. I think that it's not uncommon. Keep in mind, this team did not have an offseason to work with. These are a lot of new players coming together, trying to work together. Another one just got added with Antonio Brown. The defense is really kind of clicking. They've got their moments where they look a little iffy, but generally it's been getting better from the start of last season. And they've got a lot of young guys, especially in the secondary. I like what Antoine Winfield Jr. does. Jamel Dean, Carlton Davis, their two corners are playing really good football. Up front, they're still really good. I'm not worried about the defense and I'm not worried about the offense. When you've got Tom Brady there, all he has to do is really start to gel with guys like Chris Godwin and Mike Evans to a level that we haven't seen yet. It's starting to get there, but Tom Brady is notoriously a stickler for being exactly on the same page with receivers. He needs to know exactly what you're going to do. I think that the addition of Antonio Brown is going to be one of the most important uh, acquisitions for any team this year, because clearly Tom Brady loves what this dude brings to the table. Advocated for him to be in New England. That first game that he was with New England, Tom just looked his way every single play. So far, he's not looked his way every time in Tampa, but that's because he's got other really good weapons. But if Antonio Brown starts clicking, I really think that the offense has the tools with Ronald Jones playing the way that he is to really take off. And if they do the next few weeks, this team is as good as any, not just in the NFC, but in the league. Yeah, you mentioned their defense too with Todd Bowles. We've seen what he can do. They've got studs on the defensive line, linebackers, and in the secondary, you mentioned a guy named Antoine Winfield Jr. from Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> there you go that was subtle. anyway i just wanted to get that in there because everyone's arch just usually gives me a hard time about the minnesota behind me so i just i felt like i would drop that in there all right so we <laughs> talked a little bit about arch and shockley being off this week because of the bye week so it was the bye week for the falcons so i need you guys to put on your um coaching hats or your headsets right okay so you've got your headsets here kelsey if you were Raheem Morris and you had this bye week with what you've seen through the first nine weeks of the season, what would have been your focus? And not just giving guys time off because we know that they got to have time off during the bye week, right? They need to decompress a little bit. But to finish out the season, Kelsey, what would have been your message if you are Kelsey Morris to the team as far as how they're going to finish out the season? Well, I think I'd break it up into two different messages. I think I would start with the, the overall identity of both offensive and defensive. And rather than saying, I want us to be this blanket, tough football team, whatever, I want to pick one thing on defense and one thing on offense that I want to make sure that we are night and day 
better than we were at the beginning of the season. And for me, on offense, that's the red zone. This offense is way too talented and has way too many weapons to not be scoring more touchdowns. And it's that, just that simple. Because if they're able to be more efficient in the red zone, I don't know which defense can stop all the weapons that can have. And on defense, I think the biggest thing is how to generate more of a pass rush without having to blitz everyone. And that's going to be really difficult because they don't have Dante Fowler right now. Tack obviously is no longer with the team. They've got to get, find a way to get Marlon Davidson going. They, you know, second round pick. So for me, I would probably break it up into two different messages. One for the offense, one for the defense. Let's be really good at this one thing and really good at this thing. And then we've got all the pieces in place to really make a run here. And, and she, if she would had just a little bit more passion and maybe a bad word mixed in there, I would have believed her as the head coach. I might've actually gone out and done that. So let's just see, Will, <laughs> if you can take it to the next level here. You're Raheem Morris, your message for the rest of the season. Obviously you got to take it one game at a time, but where do you feel like this team needs a little improvement, focus, extra work on to achieve some of the goals that they've got this year? Well, look, I mean, I, I think it actually just goes beyond messaging. Um, I think he's done a good job in flipping the mindset with his message, making it feel different than, you know, when DQ is here. He, he seems like his own man, his own coach with his own leadership style. The, the bye week to me is not a time for messaging. The bye week is his first chance to really get under the hood from a strategic and a scheme standpoint. Now that you've got a week, week off, the player's gone, you don't have to worry about an upcoming opponent. Yes, take some time, look at the Saints but figure out what exactly you want to do as a coach and have your identity as playing on offense and defense. Come up with some new things, throw some new wrinkles out there. This is the toughest stretch of the season, but you've got the opportunity to really get creative with the scheme, with the types of plays that you want to run and throw stuff out there that they've not only never seen this season, but they've never seen with Dan Quinn as the head coach. So that, if I'm Raheem Morris, that's what I'm trying to do is give them stuff that is not only unscouted, that they've never even thought was possible with this team. And the other thing that I would do is just make sure that the guys' heads are clear. The first half of the season does not matter. That you've played yourself back into a position where you're not completely out of it, but you still have a very tough uphill climb. Continue that one-week approach, forget about the first half of the season, and then take it upon themselves as coaches to really put together game plans that these other teams have never seen before. One thing you have to have as a coach and a player in the National Football League is a short-term memory. So it's a great point that you make. Well, they can't think about anything that happened during that 0-5 start to start the season. They have to be living in the present. They got to be thinking about moving forward. And I'll piggyback on what both of you guys said to try to summarize what my thoughts are because offensively, I feel like they've been good enough to win more games than what they've won this year. They're averaging 27 points per game. I actually went back and looked at it, and there's 12 teams that are better than them right now as far as scoring on offense, okay? Six of those teams are leading their division in scoring. Every other team of those 12 has a winning record. Okay. When you score 27 points in the national football league, you should win more games than what you have done throughout this year. So my biggest point is whatever they have to do, if it's will, if it's pulling out a new wrinkle defensively, if it's Kelsey, it's bring more pass rush, but they have got to find a way to limit points defensively. I don't care if an imposing offense has 450 yards of offense, but if they get a fourth down stop inside the five yard line, or they get an interception in the end zone, all that you have to do is do not let the opposing offense score because this offense, have they been great? No, but they've been good enough 
to where they should they should have more W's in the win column because they're scoring 27 points a game. So if I'm the head coach, I'm finding a way to create that wrinkle defensively or challenge my guys to say, I don't care how many yards. Yes, you want to stop them, but keep them out of the end zone. With this offense that we have, we got a chance to win more football games. And again, it's not looking back at the previous season, but they've been good on offense. They've been good enough on offense to get more victories in the win column. All right, let's transition here because I want to kind of talk a little bit about the Falcon Saints rival. We're not going to talk about X's and O's here. We're going to talk a little bit about memorable moments. And Will, I want to start with you because you mentioned before we came on air, one that kind of sticks out to you as far as a memory from this rivalry. And it was actually one that I participated in. I'm actually proud that you are old enough to remember a game that long ago. Go ahead, buddy. Well, yeah, you know, I wouldn't say uh, super. It's definitely from my childhood. <laughs> but Thanks. Having... Appreciate it. <laughs> there you go. Just uh, had, to get, had to get a dig in there. But, you know, having grown up kind of in the city of Atlanta, of course you know all about the Falcons and Saints rivalry. But, you know, people who, like me, frankly, grew up and enjoyed the Matt Ryan era, a little bit spoiled. This is actually a lot of it spoiled because for a long time, the Falcon Saints were a very intimate rivalry, but only because they had absolutely kind of no national exposure. So it was purely between these teams and these fan bases, which is why it has continued and endured as one of the best rivalries. The game that, that you played in, Rack, 2005, week six matchup, this was a 34-31 game with a game-winning field goal, no time left on the clock. By the way, a very important part of this particular rivalry came happened in the Alamo Dome, right in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, a very important part for the state of Louisiana, something that will forever tie this rivalry because what, have ha what happened in the reopening of the Superdome. So there's a little bit of everything there. I mean, Michael Vick and his cousin Aaron Brooks, both playing quarterback together, uh, the teams combined for 371 rushing yards, which seems like a bygone era when you talk about <laughs> today's NFL game, but very much not uncommon for those Falcons teams. I mean, one of the top teams, if not the top team, every single year in rushing yards, and that was partially because of what Michael Vick could do, but TJ Duckett and Warwick done in there as well. So I just, this game stuck out to me because those teams didn't do well that, that year. I mean, the Falcons went 8-8, eight and eight, which was a letdown based on the fact that they were in the NFC Championship game just the year before. The Saints went 3-13. and 13. None of that mattered. 34-31, this was as closely competitive a game as any in a series defined by close and competitive games. And it just goes to show you, even if the season's not going your way, last year was a perfect example, both of these teams are going to come out swinging from the jump. Yeah, I, I remember that game vividly, Will, because we were going into, as you mentioned, the Alamo Dome, and there's there's usually a lot of, uh, how do I call it, displeasure with the players <laughs> in that game because of this rivalry. So there's not a whole lot of chit-chat that goes on before games because a lot of times that chit-chat would turn into some scuffles around the 50-yard line. But I can remember this was a different year because when we got on the field, there were so many guys that were talking amongst each other, meaning Falcons and Saints, because – we, we felt for them and, and all the things that they were going through, having displaced from their homes and having to play their home games in a different state and, and all the different um, frustrations and headaches that all they were trying to deal with on top of being a professional football player and going out there and performing. You mentioned the record. I don't, I don't know how it could have been for them to have a more successful year with everything that they were going through. Uh, but I remember that game. I remember snapping the field goal where Todd Peterson actually ended up kicking the field goal to win it. And actually, there was a penalty because 
Uh, he missed the first field goal. There's a holding penalty, which we got another shot, and then Todd ended up knocking the field goal through to prevent us going to overtime. Um, and that was uh, definitely a great moment. And Kelsey, you've got a little bit of a different um, viewpoint on this because you don't go back to the early 2000s and like I do, and let's not talk about age here or anything like that. But, <laughs> but your experience with this rivalry has been a little bit different, but I think it's a cool one to get your viewpoint because it's not necessarily about, I remember this play, that play, or this play. It's more on a macro 30,000 foot level. Yeah, and it's been really cool. So I'm from right outside of Baltimore, Maryland, and I grew up a huge NFL fan. And the rivalry that I was a part of was the Ravens-Steelers. And that that rivalry, you could say rivals the Falcons-Saints for one of the best rivals in the, uh, rivalries in the NFL. But the difference, and I'm glad you brought this up, is that when you talk about Ravens-Steelers, you talk about physical Ray Lewis, Troy Polamalu, like those defenses. But then you go to the Falcons and Saints, and when I started covering the team in 2015, I've been fully a part of Matt Ryan and Drew Brees in their prime. And it's just been really cool to see the differences in the styles that these teams play. But honestly, the best part about it is I'm a sports fan. That's why I got into this business. And being in Ubers in New Orleans, when you know your Uber driver's driving and she's like, and I hate those dirty birds and I love me some Sean Payton and she's driving you and she doesn't even know that you're working for the Falcons in the backseat, but I'm just dying living it up. And, you know, being in Atlanta, obviously I don't really get to be in the stadium on game day that much, but just seeing the way that the fans, doesn't matter what the Falcons record is, they show up for the Saints game. And I think it's been a really cool rivalry to see, and I'm glad it's been competitive, that it hasn't been when you look at the total records, it hasn't been one team has really won it more so than the other. And it's, for me, that's been the coolest part because these fan bases, even more than the players, I think they really get into it. And, you know, having some of these rivalries happen on Thanksgiving Day has kind of brought it out even more, which has been really fun. Yeah, it's a great point because you know, I don't know if we talk about the rivalry as much in the locker room, but anytime I would go out and do a function when I was a player, you'd always, when you ran into a Saints fan, they would always be happy to tell you what they thought about this matchup and, and how happy they would be to tell you how much you were going to lose in the next game. But it, it is, from a fan's perspective, it's, it's been a great rivalry. And guys, I'd be remiss if I, if I didn't mention this because actually one of my greatest moments from this rivalry was a game that – that I wasn't a part of anymore. Um, and it was the game, the first game back in the Superdome for the Saints. Um, and I think everybody remembers where Steve Gleason ended up blocking the punt for the Falcons that really kind of just, the, it, they say it was the rebirth of New Orleans. And the reason why I bring this up is that was the first game back in the Superdome for the Falcons without me as the long snapper on the punt team. Now, I'm not <laughs> going to say that the result would have ended up differently, um, but it wasn't me out there for the first time in six years. I had been the long snapper every year. I'd made plenty of trips to New Orleans. Um, and again, without being in that meeting room or, or how they had schemed up the protection, um, I do remember that play vividly. And I also remember my phone blowing up afterwards of all my friends that were saying, are you watching this game? Falcons just got a punt blocked and, and it wasn't you. And I'm like, yeah, I realized this. I was in Seattle at the time. 
Uh, but I'll never forget that moment just because it was it's obviously a big moment in this rivalry. It's an even bigger moment for the New Orleans Saints, and I know mm-hmm. we're Falcons people here, but um, that, was a, that was a big game, and obviously that play will go down forever just because of the impact that Steve Gleason had on that game, and obviously all the things that have come down with him from a health perspective has been so unfortunate. But um, it, it was, it's been cool to be part of that uh, rivalry as a player, um, and I'm sure those guys are appreciating that as well. Um, you know what? We've probably gone a lot longer than we were supposed to, but I really enjoy having you guys uh, on the podcast this week, bringing a different perspective. You guys are, are much more um, knowledgeable and better looking um, than the two guys that I'm normally on with, Will. And I'm, I'm saying that. I can say that to you as well, okay? Just want you to know that. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate told- that. I, Rock, I told you, just you just got to wait for it. I mean, I yeah. think my dirty bird impersonation and me losing my ring light, I really didn't even need to say anything. You, I mean... <laughs> If you want to take it to the next level, Kelsey, you could stand up and do the Dirty Bird right now, and that would. I am crash. absolutely not going to do that. <laughs> I tried. I tried. No. Hey, thank you all so much for joining us. Let's have some fun. Uh, maybe down the road, have you guys back on with us again. That's again. That's Falcons reporters Kelsey Conway, Will McFadden, joining me here on the Falcons Audible, presented by AT and T. We'll have Dave Archer and DJ Shockley back. Uh, with me next week as we see the Falcons and their matchup against the New Orleans Saints. Guys, thanks so much for your time, and that's going to do it this week. Once again, for the Falcons Audible presented by AT&T. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next time. See you, everyone. You're listening to Falcons Audible presented by AT&T.